0: Good morning, morning. great to see you all in person. If you're joining us online, it'd be great to see you. Can't see you through the thing, but we are thinking about you and we care for you and we're blessed that you're here with us. We serve a great king. My name is Stephen, I'm the pastor. I love to, uh, and I'm honored to serve here because God is a great God and he has done great things in our midst. It is awesome to hear great testimonies like this morning, but also to look out and see the hand of God in all of your lives. As I'm looking at you, I know and I've seen God move in each and every one of you and the things that he's done. It's incredible to know God's presence, to know his favor, his kindness. He's good to us. Will you turn in your Bible with me, please, this morning to 1 Kings? The book of 1 Kings. We're going to be in chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19. <clears throat> While you're turning there in your mind... Take just a moment and get the picture of a sloth. You know a sloth animal? Weirdest of animals. They live in the Amazon rainforest, and there's things there that move very quickly. Predators, and the sloth moves very slow. You know, they're doing this kind of thing. They're hilarious. They're the most hilarious animal. But they're so different, and they're so weird. Did you know that there is a sloth bear a bear version of the sloth. And the sloth bear is about six feet tall and is responsible for many maulings. The thing is super dangerous and lightning fast. It just resembles and from the same family as a sloth, not to be trifled with. And so people assume sloth bears say, so oh, the sloth is big, but it's slow. Not slow. Sloth bear, and the reason I bring this to your mind is because I've been described as running like a sloth bear. So imagine me running, and imagine what you think a sloth bear looks like. Not the lightning-fast portion. The awkward, uh, what you thought of first, the slow one, then running, that's me. I'm not a natural runner, not, not like Christy. Christy, natural runner, Steven, not so much. I had to force out every mile. And when I was in college, we had a tradition that for graduation, uh, we would skip part of the graduation and all the ceremony and the pomp and circumstance, and every year in uh, Kalamazoo, Michigan, where I was in Grand Rapids, Kalamazoo area, there was a uh, special half-marathon that the hospital system put on, and they did a big fundraiser and a lot of people were in town for the graduations of the different schools, and so they kind of capitalized on that, and it was a big deal. And so a lot of people ran in this half-marathon, and that was our task, our goal, was to go run together in the half-marathon. So Sloth Bear Steven goes running a half-marathon. And uh, this was a time when I was working out a lot and a little fitter, and uh, so I had prepared for it, but in my attempt to be ready for the half marathon, I had kind of taken for granted that I could figure it out. That's not a good I yeah, know, we're already hearing laughs. It's, it's exactly what you think. And so, I had trained for it, and I was ready, but I had only run about, I don't know, like 10 miles. So I'd run you know 10 miles several times in a row, but I never really... I think I did 11 one time, but the half marathon's 13. So um, I got going, and we're on the half marathon, we're running, tons of people around us. And I will never forget, there was this old gentleman, and he had a shirt on that says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I was like, oh, that's nice, man. I left him in my dust, in my dust. Then at mile 11, my body revolted and decided it was done running. And so I got about 11 and a half miles, and all the adrenaline sort of wore off, and suddenly the limits of my training (laughs) kicked in, and I was just out of of gas, I was just done. And it was, you know how you train in for those things, and you get up early and go to them, and you never sleep all the night before, and I just wasn't ready. And so here I am, and I'm running, and I'm, you know, (laughs) I'm running, right? That's how I was running. And lo and behold, here comes this jogger past me, you can do it, all things in Christ who strengthens me, and I was, I hated him, I hated him. (laughs) I wanted to catch up to him if I could have, you, ha, no, no, I and I had left him uh, so long ago, it's all right, whippersnapper, is an older gentleman, you can do it, I will punch you in your face, it was, it was awful, it was awful, I was so tired and so hot, I don't understand, suddenly my clothes were like choking me to death, I was running and I had on this like Under Armour shirt, I don't know, I think I threw it away, I don't know what happened to it. I had two shirts on, that was a mistake. I didn't know what I was doing. It was bad, it was so, everything was wrong and my legs felt just like they were in sandbags. You ever had those kind of experiences? Here's what I hear a lot nowadays, myself included, for all of us. If you ask somebody how they're doing, oh yeah, you know, okay, COVID, we're all right. It's kind of everybody answers like that, right? Then if you say, how are you really doing? Everybody says, I'm exhausted. I'm so tired. I, I'm just so tired all the time. Have you had those nights where it hits like 7.30? And you look at the clock and you're like, I thought it was midnight. <laughs> what do we do? How are the children still awake? What's happening right now? And you, you ha- just, have you ever put something off until like eight o'clock? You're like, oh, I'll do that bill at eight o'clock. I'll take care of those bills. And then you sit down to take care of them. You're like, oh Lord. It's just everything, and he was pulling you to the desk. I can't. I don't know where accounting is. Where who? It's awful, isn't it? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. It's weird nowadays. Here's the thing. We're really busy as a culture, in a way that we have not been before. We're bombarded with information now as a culture, and advertisements, and stuff, and internet, and work, in a way, and connectivity that we have never been before. Do you remember calling somebody's house like circa 1987, and you talk to whoever's there and leave a message, and four days later, somebody calls you back? And that was normal? Like, that was, so I wrote it down, I gave it to them, they'll get back to you. Now, if Lisa doesn't pick up, my phone starts ringing. Then the emails come. It's, it's constant, it's all the time, it never ends. It's so much, it's in your face. It's tiring. Then on top of that, health things and concerns and coronavirus and vaccine and should we, shouldn't we and politics and news and, subscriptions. So many subscriptions now that you didn't even know you got. And then all of a sudden you're like, $8? What's this $8 for? $42? What's happening? Oh, I canceled that. No, you didn't! You know, now it's a whole new thing. I'm the one that didn't cancel it. (laughs) But this, this is our lives now. It feels like that, doesn't it? And we just seem tired, and just everything is tiring. We're going to read in the Word about somebody who was tired. It's the prophet Elijah. Prophet Elijah in 1 Kings 19 is a famous guy. He is the prophet of the Lord. He's speaking. The king in Israel at this time is a wicked man. His name is Ahab. He's one of the worst kings. He married a witch. Her name is Jezebel. When I say witch, I don't just mean she was a bad person. I mean she really did witchcraft. And she's taking the people of Israel from honoring and following the one true God and the law. In fact, kings were required to write their own copy of the law and dwell on it every day. They should know the law of God. It should exude from them. It should come out of their judgments. It should be the law of the land everywhere they go. It should be pervasive in everything they do. And instead, they had chucked the law, thrown it away, and now they were building idol-worshiping temples all over the place. Asherah poles in high places, they had Baal worship, which is a uh, god of fertility, a Philistine god of fertility in the area, and, and harvest, and so they were praying to these gods and coming before them, and taking the people and saying, this is good and right for us to do. And so the state was sanctioning this kind of idolatry. Not only that, but Jezebel the witch was on a hunt for any prophets. If the priests of God or the prophets who were representing him had spoken out against her or her Baal priests and prophets that they would be put to death. At this point in the story, in 1 Kings 18, a faithful servant named Obadiah is coming and and he is uh, heading over a bunch of things and working for Ahab, but he loves and fears God and he's trying to bring righteousness. And in secret, he's taken a hundred of the prophets that he could find and hid them away in caves and provided for them and made sure they had bread and water and protected their lives. And then Elijah shows up before him and says, go tell King Ahab I need to have an audience with him. And the man throws himself on the ground. He says, he says, Elijah, what am I to do? Would you kill me now? We've searched everywhere for you. The king has been on a tirade with Jezebel to find you and put you to death. We've sought you in foreign nations. We've sought you in all these places. And now for me to go to him and say, Elijah will have an audience with you. He is here. The Lord will whisk you away and then you're gone and I'll be standing there and I'll surely be put to death because God will surely save your life. Don't you know I'm a God-fearing man? I'm trying to protect the." the prophets, and serve the Lord. What are we to do? And Elijah says, don't worry. I know from the Lord I'll I'll be here. I'm going to talk to Ahab. So sure enough, here comes the king, and they have an audience together. And the king says, you know, there you are, O deceiver, O foolish one in Israel, who's leading the people astray, which is so funny because it's obviously, the worlds are reversed. And Elijah says to him, He says, why don't you gather together your prophets, the Asherah prophets, the Baal prophets, bring them all out, let's have a showdown. You know the story is famous. The story is that they make two offerings together, bulls. In fact, Elijah says, you can even choose the bulls. It's not normally how the law works. You take the best bull. Bring the bulls, you choose first, whichever one you want. Take your bull, put it on the offering, just don't touch it. Don't light it on fire, as is the custom. Put it on the wood, get it ready, prepare it. I'll do the same with my bull. And then we'll call on our gods. And the God who answers, that's the Lord. And everyone says, sounds good. Reasonable? Let's do that. So here's Elijah. He's alone, one man. He's resurrecting and bringing together and putting back the stones that were the altar. 12 big stones that represented the 12 tribes, putting them back into place, puts the wood down, digs around it a deep pit, pours water over the offering and the pit and the whole thing so that it can't be lit on fire artificially. The prophets of Baal are 450 strong. 450 men together make this giant pile ready to go, put the bull on it with all the wood, They start calling out to their god from the morning until noon. They're yelling and lashing themselves and hitting themselves until their blood is running from them, as is their custom, to try to get the attention of the god Baal, the idol. But no one answers. No one pays attention. In fact, Elijah is sitting watching, starts to mock them. He says, maybe Baal is out for a while. Surely he's a god. Maybe he's got better things to do. Perhaps he's in the potty. Perhaps he's taking a nap. Maybe you need to wake him up. Maybe he's on a journey. Maybe he's just as watching for fun. Maybe hit yourselves more and see what happens. And so they start striking themselves even harder until the blood is just all over the ground. It's just they're bleeding everywhere to try to get the attention of their idol. Nothing happens. No one pays attention. Then Elijah calls to the Lord and he says, Lord God, you see my offering. Here it is, the bull, the bull, the wood. We've resurrected the stones. We've dug around it. It's full of water. No one but you can light this on fire. So show the people that you are God and that I am your servant. I trust you. And here comes fire from heaven consuming the offering, consuming the wood, melting the stones and lapping up all the water so that it's evaporated. And everyone says the Lord is God and they take the, five, the 450 prophets of Baal and march them down to the valley and kill them all. That part usually is left out of the servants. Why are they doing that? Because they're coming back to the law. These people have led the nation astray. It's idol worship. This is God's justice now happening. The moment for repentance has passed. It, it was there. It could have done at any time. And they chose to follow Baal instead of follow the Lord. And then this is what happens. But it's gory, it's bloody, it's awful. It's also exhilarating, it's exciting, it's amazing. Seeing God's power move, this is the moment. This is the moment when everything is going to change. Even Ahab the king, who's a dumb jerk of a guy. Even Ahab the king is like, the Lord, the Lord is God. That's, wow, this is amazing. All right, sorry I tried to kill you, Elijah. I mean, whew, I'm going to go tell the queen. This is amazing. Let's, we, we'll do something about it. I don't know. And in the power of God, he jumps out and goes on his chariot going back to the city where they've moved to the capital for the time being. And here comes Elijah, an old man, who starts running, running faster than the horse because the spirit of God. is This is the moment. This is the moment when everything should and is going to change. So here comes Elijah. He's ready. He's ready to be received. He's ready to hear the message. What's going to be the turn? The king surely now is going to turn the heart of the whole nation, not just his own heart, but the heart of the whole nation, to say, Lord, you're God. We'll serve you. We're going to take down all those idols. We're going to follow you and you alone. You've proven yourself. And instead, Jezebel gets the word. Hey, Jezebel, Elijah came. God showed up. He did the set, it was undisputable. God is God. So all your prophets of Baal, uh, we slaughtered them. And she's furious. And she stands up and she says, as surely as I've heard these things, as surely as, uh, as this has happened to them, let it happen to me unless I kill Elijah. And puts a price on his head, a royal decree from the witch queen for a price on Elijah's head. Now imagine you're Elijah, you've just run not like me in the marathon sloth bear. You've run faster than a horse. You've seen God. He's answered all your prayers. He has shown himself. He's bringing righteousness back. It's everything your heart craves for and you're waiting for the message for the king of what's going to happen and instead a messenger comes and says, there's a price on your head, you better run. How would you feel pretty bad tired working hard doing all these things this is where we're going to pick up the story let's read 1st kings 19 starting at verse 4 elijah has just heard the word from jezebel's messenger that by this time tomorrow she's going to try to take his life and so he himself, verse 4, 1 Kings 19:4. But he, that's Elijah himself, went a day's journey into the wilderness, and came and sat down under a broom tree, and he asked that he might die, saying, is it, is it, it is enough now, O Lord. Take my life, for I am no better than my father's. As he lay down and slept under a broom tree, And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there at his head was a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food for forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. There he came to a cave, and he lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, they've thrown down your altars, they've killed the prophets with the sword, and I, even I, only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold... The Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, Go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazel to be king over Syria. And Jehu, son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, son of Shaphat, of Abel Molah, you shall appoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazel shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. The word of the Lord. How do you feel reading this story? Elijah's in a rough way. He's depressed. Did you notice when he goes to sit down by the broom tree, he says, let me die. An angel comes to him and feeds him miraculously. And he just lays down again. We've been in those kind of places, haven't we? An angel comes a second time and says, you need to eat something. The journey's too great for you. He eats, and now miraculously, in the force of that food somehow, has energy for 40 days and 40 nights to trek through the desert to get to the mountain of God. He comes into the Lord's mountain, finds a cave, and hides himself in it. He's not a man coming to present himself to God. He had 40 days and 40 nights to think about all the things going on. But what's God's question to him? What are you doing here, Elijah? He's not in the center of God's will. He's not where he should be. He's not doing what he's supposed to be doing. He's in a funk. He's in a place that's bad. He's tired. He's despairing. He's low as can be. He's so low, in fact, that he's asking the God of creation, the God who has sustained him with a little bit of bread for 40 days, Lord, just take my life. In other words, it's better that I just wouldn't have ever been born. I'm no better than my fathers. We've fallen into this idolatry. The nation can't be changed. It's hopeless. Just let me die. It's an awful place to be, isn't it? He's so tired. Why does God bring him to Horeb? It's an interesting name, right? The mountain of God. He comes to this place, and then the Lord brings him to the entrance of the cave and shows up before him in a wind. A wind that's so strong that it literally breaks the rocks of the mountain. Then he shows up in this earthquake that's shaking the whole mountain. Everything he's standing on is shaking. Then a fire comes down. He's just witnessed a fire 40 days before. The fire of God that proved who he was. But God's not in any of those things. And then a whisper. Where he is is he's standing on the same spot where Moses first saw the burning bush where God in fire had first revealed himself to Moses to go and take his people. This is the same place. This is the same mountain. Horeb is Sinai. This is the same place where they've received the law. This is the same place that coming out of slavery in Egypt with Moses, where God had called Israel like his son to come out and escape the tyranny of Egypt and slavery and oppression. Now they've come and they're receiving the law of God and they see the whole mountain wrapped in smoke and thunder and fire coming down as God's presence fills the mountain and it shakes as they receive the law. The wind is so strong it's breaking rocks because when God's presence showed up to the people to make them a nation, that's what they experienced. You see, in this moment, Elijah is being reminded of who the covenantal God is and what he's done. The Lord doesn't need to say, see, I'm coming in fire. It's a neat phenomenon. He's coming like he came to Moses. He's coming like he came to the people when he gave the law. He's coming like he came in his salvation. He's coming like he's come already. He's reminding him, even through these actions, not of I can do great things, but look at the great things I've already done. You know me. That's why Elijah doesn't come out for the phenomenon. Man, would it be so great? An earthquake, a fire, a wind? Don't you want it every meeting? I do. I do, I'll be honest with you every meeting, some, something awesome, it'll be so great. But the phenomenon is not enough to help Elijah. Same in our lives, isn't it? The amazing moments that last a little bit. Instead, God speaks and it's in an intimate way. And he asks the same question again. What are you doing here, Elijah? What does Elijah answer? Was he changed by the phenomenon? Was he changed by the journey? He had 40 days to reflect. Took a break. We'll just separate for a while, see what happens. He had all that time. Did it change his heart? Just kill me. He says the same thing back to God. And then the Lord gives his decree. Do you know this is the only time that we see in the Old Testament when a prophet who has been appointed to be the mouthpiece of God and speak his word gives the mantle over to another prophet to take his place. Elijah is a failure. And God is removing the authority that he's going to have and putting it on another. But here's the incredible thing. It doesn't mean that God removes himself from Elijah. It doesn't mean that God stops using him. It doesn't mean that God abandons him. It doesn't mean that he ceases being who he was. It doesn't mean that he forgets about all his promises or how he's already shown up or the great things that he's accomplished. It doesn't mean that he abandons any of those things. You know, sometimes in our weakest moments, in our lowest moments, we can feel like Elijah, like there's no hope, and we start to look for God. If you just do something, if I could just see you again, And the reality is the phenomenon doesn't change us. What changes us is the relationship. What changes is knowing God, is he himself. What's important for us to know here is that this time, Elijah is still looking forward to the hope of a a Savior who's going to come, to a Messiah who will come and change everything, that resting on the principles and thoughts and and ideas and and history that's happened, knowing the law and knowing how God's saved the people and knowing his covenant and knowing all the things that he's done in this place on Sinai, there will be a day that Elijah's reaching forward to, to say Christ is coming, there's one coming, a Messiah who will save us. But in this moment, he's, he's just straining forward not knowing fully the revelation that he's hearing already in his heart. And in this moment of despair, he sees little glimpses of it as God consumes the sacrifice, as righteousness starts to seemingly come out. And it just doesn't seem to work. Turn with me in your Bible, please, to John chapter 20. There's another guy like that who saw the phenomenon he saw all the things that were gonna happen that God had done. He walked with Jesus. He had seen Jesus do great things. He had seen the kingdom coming. He had seen God's kingdom rule starting to be revealed on earth as the Lord took people with shriveled limbs and no sight and couldn't hear. People who are relegated to lives on mats because they were paralyzed. And everywhere Jesus went, he brought the kingdom administration of wholeness and restoration. Everywhere he went, demons fled. Everywhere he went, people saw the restoration of God as as diseases left them. Everywhere he went, it was like life just sprung out. Every word that came out of Jesus' mouth was like peace and, and wholeness, and it felt like this is what life should be. And then this disciple saw Jesus hang on a cross. He saw the Romans come and take Jesus away. He saw Jesus go through a sham court thing in which the Jewish people handed him over to the Romans. The Romans have their court find no innocent no no guilt in him, say he's totally innocent. And yet because we want to appease the crowd, we'll hand him over to ultimate, ultimate punishment. He'll lose his life like a traitor. He watched Jesus go through the streets being whipped and beaten. He watched all these things happen. He saw as Jesus hung on the cross and the sky became black. He saw as Jesus was on the cross, giving up his life, as the ground started to shake. He heard about all the people raised from the dead on the day that Jesus died. He witnessed all of it. And then he stood in a room in John chapter 20, verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came because he had risen to life. So one of the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see his hands, the marks of the nails, the place in my f- and I and I place my fingers into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side where it was pierced, I will never believe. Here's a guy witnessed all the phenomena, heard the voice of God, the God man on earth. I'll never believe. Can you imagine how tired he is? He's given his life to this. Then he watched his Lord, his teacher, die on a cross as a traitor. Now they're hiding in rooms. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again. And Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came. He stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Put your hand here place it on my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, you have believed because you have seen, but blessed be those who have not seen and yet have believed. Here's a man who was also in a low place, unsure of what his life would be like but you know, the same God that spoke to Elijah, the same God that whispered to him, what are you doing here? The same God who heard Elijah's prayer heard Thomas' prayer, heard Thomas' declaration. Can't you hear the same words resounding, what are you doing here, Thomas? Touch my hands. You need to know, touch my side. And everything that he said in that moment, his heart bursting within him because God heard him and now God is speaking to him and standing before him. It makes all the difference, doesn't it? I was on mile 12 running in that half marathon out of gas. I had nothing left. But I had a friend named Craig. (laughs) And my friend Craig stood by my side and ran with me. He's a much better runner than me. He's much more fit than me, let's be honest. If he's listening to this, it's totally true. And he ran with me, and he... I begged him just to go ahead. I was gonna finish the marathon, I was gonna do it somehow at nine o'clock at night or something, crawling. I told him just go, just finish. Just leave me alone so that you don't have to witness my shame. This is really how I felt. I was so embarrassed. I mean, I looked ridiculous. Sloth bear. And Craig didn't leave my side. You know, we finished the race together. And then we went and had a meal, and it was delicious. It was the best meal because we had finished. We had done the work. We had earned it together. But without Craig, I never could have done it. You know, the reality is we have a Savior who's called us. He's whispered to us. In an intimate way, he's taken us. He's heard all of our prayers. He's never, ever left our side. He rescued us and pulled us up. Whether we were doubting like Thomas, whether we were depressed like Elijah, when we thought all hope was lost, when it seems like our whole life's work just crumbles, when we don't know what our legacy is gonna be, we don't know what our next step is gonna be, our lives are in jeopardy, I don't know, I have nothing to trust, what should I do? And God heard all the prayers. And God was there and faithful. And moved forward, and Elijah, in his failure, appoints two world leaders, and a prophet will walk after him, and sees the majesty of God revealed, because at the end of the day, who does it? God does it, but we get to walk with him like sloth, I'm doing it, I'm doing it, and the Lord says, yes, well done, good and faithful servant, what a God we serve. What a God we serve that out of His grace. He he meets us in the earthquake and in the fire and in the wind, but it's the whisper that pulls us because He's with us. If you are tired, if 7.30 at night feels like midnight, if you don't know what your legacy is going to be, if you're not sure if you can make it the next step, if you don't know if you can finish this race, if you feel like your legs are in sandbags, hear the whisper of your Savior. Grab a hold of Him. He will pull you through. He's faithful. Don't let any sin come in between you and him. Get rid of it. That's why we come to the table every week and have the moment to examine ourselves. Stop trying to live in your own power. You're running like a sloth bear. Stop it. And instead say, Lord, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, because it's your life, it's your power, it's your strength. Show me what to do. I'll appoint kings. Show me what to do. I'll disciple anybody. Show me what to do. I'll take your gospel anywhere. I'll do anything. That's the beauty that we get to see in Jesus. What should we do, how do we do that practically? First thing we need to do is decide and believe. Stop limping. Stop limping along or finding crutches of other things, other desires and other stuff to prop yourself up. It makes you exhausted. Unplug your phone sometimes. It's exhausting you with information that's not, seeking you to, that's not bringing you to God. Just unplug it. Especially today, after the live stream. For all of you at home. Yeah. Unplug your devices on Sunday. And give the time to the Lord. Play with your kids. Call your mom. That would be a good use of the device. Always supposed to call your mom, right? Call a family member. Encourage somebody in the body. Take just a minute and say, Lord, let me be a vessel for you today and encourage somebody. Instead of, sucking up this information. What does Facebook have for me today? What does Twitter have for me today? What does the news have for me today? What are the sales? What are the stock prices? What are the prices of gas? Oh, man, should I get that car? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do some research. Sunday's a good day to do research. It's not a good day to do research. It's a good day to press into the Lord. Decide. Stop your unbelief and to say, Lord, I believe. Help me with my unbelief, even. You know, he's big enough. You can take all of your Sin to him and say, Lord, forgive me. And he forgives us. Lord, I'm trusting you. Number one, stop limping. Decide and believe. Number two, seek Jesus, not the phenomenon. The phenomenon will not get you through. It's super fun. And how great is it that God does show up sometimes? Man, it's awesome. It's good for us. It's good for other people. It's good. He does that all the time. The Lord works miracles. I'm praying for miracles all the time in our church, all the time. Not saying don't seek miracles, but I'm saying if it's the focus, we're losing sight. Seek Jesus and all these things will be added. The people came to Jesus and got healed. Come to him and bring him to everyone around you. If you wanna see miracles happen, then start declaring stuff in the name of Jesus. Bring him to your neighbors. Him to your friends. Him to your family. Do you know Jesus? He's the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. All I can tell you is, I know what forgiveness is, and I even forgive you, brother. Man, what, what a difference in your own heart. It's bring people to Him. And thirdly, take some action. Do something about it. Choose. Read your Bible. Choose to listen to it read to you on an app. where There's tons. Choose. I'm gonna do something today. I'm gonna tell somebody about Jesus today. Choose, I'm not gonna make weird posts on Facebook about what I ate. Instead, I'm gonna leave that, and I'm just gonna tell one person, physically tell them that i meet somewhere about Jesus the King. It'll make a lot of difference. And as you step, you say, Lord, I trust you. Lord, I trust you. Lord, I trust you. And suddenly, you feel his strength in your legs, and all of a sudden, you're running. And you don't know where it's come from. And it's him, because he's whispering to you, stay with me, well done, good and faithful servant. That's the God we serve. In 1498, Vasco da Gama brought his Portuguese fleet to India and was shocked to find Christian churches there. Because Thomas the Doubter, Thomas who would never believe without touching Jesus' hand, in the year 52, trekked across the whole world into a place called India, and started proclaiming the gospel. And from the year 52, they've had Christianity in that nation. And there will be a day yet when Christ will reign over every Hindu temple fallen to the ground, over every broken heart, over every idol worshiper, will know the one true God. But the legacy we have in the gospel is not doubt crushes us, It's not I'm broken forever. It's not I walk with such craziness, I'm a sloth, I can never make it through. It's the whisper of a king who pulls us through nations, through destiny, through places to bring him glory and to build up his people. Amen? That's you. That's your destiny. That's who you are. God will use you. If you are feeling particularly low today, if you feel like, I want to believe everything you said, but I'm not sure, come up here. I'll pray with you. The Lord will meet you. If you feel like sandbags are on your feet, let today be the day of salvation to know the release from God, to walk with Him. Maybe there'll be phenomenon. I guarantee you there'll be Jesus. Amen. Let's stand together. Let me pray for us. If you want prayer, come on up and we'll just worship together. Father, we love you. Thank you that you're with us. Thank you that you are leading us well. Thank you for the whisper of your intimate word to us. Lord, forgive us for doubt in our hearts. Forgive us, God, for retreating to caves, caves of information, caves of internet, Lord, caves where we hear you, but we just want to lay our heads down. Lord, we confess to you we're tired, God. We feel exhausted. We don't even know why. Help us, Lord. Renew our strength, God, because you said in your word you would renew us. Help us, Lord, burn away any idols before us. Help us, Lord, walk in your way. Help us, Lord, declare your word. Help us, Lord, to be ambassadors of your grace. Lord, let us be ministers of your gospel everywhere we go to bring glory to Jesus. And Lord, for any of my friends here today listening online, at home, or here in the meeting, if there are sandbags on their feet, let today be the day of restoration. Let today be the day where they know their feet shod in the gospel of peace and not weighed down by sandbags. Lord, thank you that you're with us. We praise you, God. Our hearts are lifted to you. Thank you that you are here with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.